All right, we are on a crazy train this morning. I, 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 I find it necessary when I'm about to deliver a difficult message to reference Black Sabbath um, at the start of the... No, we are, we are in the book of Leviticus, and this is the moment when God freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, and now they are the people of God. So you got to you know, remember, they were in slavery for 430 years, generations and generations in slavery. That was their identity. I mean, you know, you think about like twice as long as America has been in existence and how much American culture has influenced us. Slavery had influenced their thinking for twice as long. So that's just how depleted of identity these people were. And God, almost overnight, rescues them from slavery in Egypt and tells the Israelites, you are my people, and gives them the message of Leviticus telling them what it means to be the people of God. So this is God's culture in the book of Leviticus. And you know Moses kind of walks them through here are the rules, this is the conduct of God's people. And then we get to what is, I think, the high point of the book. We get to the seven festivals. God gives them feasts. Not only do they get rules, they get celebrations. And we are going to walk through those celebrations over the next few weeks. But today we're going to do an overview of them. And um, you know, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, you might need a little bit of Bible background to fully appreciate this, but if you don't have any Bible background, and I am unable to in the next half an hour help you to understand what God did through these, please come find me, and I will get with you until you fully understand the depth of what God has done through these seven feasts. So we're going to launch into that, and I'm going to begin by giving you some background information on on these seven feasts, but first I want to pray. <clears throat> Father, we look into history and we are so far removed by our culture today from what you did 3,500 years ago when you implemented these feasts. I want to pray that the power of your Holy Spirit, we beg you that the power of your Holy Spirit can get past my imperfection and the imperfection of my words and speak to the hearts of all of us so you use your word to communicate your message in spite of my inadequacies. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the deal. Um, here's some background information about these feasts. Okay, First of all, we said that Leviticus was written 1,500 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So 3500 B.C., there's your ballpark for, for the writing of the book of Leviticus. And, um, I'm sorry, 1500 B.C., 3500 years before ago, 1500 years before. See, I'm doing great already. <laughs> Let's just go to Panera. <coughs> it's a, um, so even though it was written 1,500 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, pretty much everything in the book of Leviticus points to Jesus. Remember, Scripture says that Jesus is the cornerstone of creation. He's the cornerstone of everything God built. God built everything around him. 
And so almost everything in Leviticus, including these feasts, point to Jesus. Now another thing that you need to know is one of the words used for these feasts is the Hebrew word mikra. And I'm not very good at pronouncing Hebrew words, but that's the ballpark right there. And it means rehearsal. It's the idea of practicing or rehearsing for something. So even though these feasts are based kind of in things of the past, it also points to something in the future. It's as if God's saying, do these celebrations, but remember that you're really practicing for something in the future. It's also important to know that there were two harvest seasons in the Jewish calendar. The Jewish calendar was essentially built around harvest seasons, and you had your grain harvest season and your fruit harvest season. So your grain harvest season started around Easter, right in that April, May time frame, you know, late April, mid-April, and that was when the barley came up from the ground and started the wheat harvest. And then you had your fruit harvest like grapes and olives and things like that that started more in the summer and went into the fall. The next thing you need to remember as we look at these feasts is that, the ne- is that daytime started at sundown for the Hebrews. For the ancient Jewish people, the day would start at sundown. So you would actually start the day at night, sleep, wake up and live out the rest of your day until sundown started the next day. One final thing to remember. Sabbath, a day when you could do no work, was every seventh day. And, and, and so every seventh day you had this rhythm of the Sabbath, but then there were what were called high days, because some of these feasts would demand that on the first day of the feast, whatever day of the week it occurred, you would do no work. And that was treated like a Sabbath, but technically it wasn't the seventh day, so it was just called a high day. Okay, so keep that in mind. It all points to Jesus, even though it was 1,500 years before him, and there were high days, and the day started at night, and all that. Now, let's turn to Leviticus 23. If you have your Bible, start there. If you don't have a Bible, I would highly recommend you bring one. There are also some in the back there if you forgot yours or if you don't have one that you like to read. Grab one. You can grab one now. Grab one before you leave. Keep it. It's yours. Um, but I would love to actually walk through Scripture with you guys as we, as we work through this over the next couple weeks. <clears throat> I'm going to start in verse 4. Again, God is giving them feasts. There are seven major feasts. They happen every year. So God says, every year you will celebrate these seven feasts. Set your clock to them. They're an important part of the calendar. These are the Lord... Button-ups. Okay. Tuck that in there. We good? Did I break anything? We're good? Okay. These are the Lord's appointed feasts. Right out of the gate here, God says, these are not Jewish feasts. These are not Christian feasts. These are not your feasts. These are the Lord's. These are Yahweh's appointed feasts. Sacred assemblies, you are to... Proclaim at their appointed times. 
Focus on the time. The timing is important. Incidentally, as we've looked through the book of Leviticus, when you see something that seems strange, some specific little nuance that God demands, it's probably because it points to something. It has some kind of significance. Any of you watch the History Channel uh, Decoded? Anybody see that? Kind of fascinating stuff. The idea that, that it's also like National Treasure, that movie, or the, the two movies. The idea that these are things that that are in our everyday life that have greater significance. So if God says something specific, some little nuance of celebration, it probably points to something. Okay. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 15th day, 14th day of that month. I skipped down to the next verse. On the 14th day of the first month, which was called a bib. Okay, twilight means between the evenings. Here's the idea of twilight, because they didn't have their G-Shock watches back then. Okay, the sun, when it was at high noon, would start to descend until it went down. In between the two was twilight. So we're talking 3 p.m., 4 p.m., when the sun was about halfway down is when most scholars believe that was, that was twilight. So 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, whatever. Okay, okay 14th day of Abib, the first month. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's Feast of Unleavened Bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Okay, here's where we are so far. Those are the two first feasts of the year. Fourteenth day of the first month, it's sundown, so it is now Passover. And you slay a lamb at 3 p.m. on Passover. And you're doing that to remember, like we talked about last week, that to, to, in order to free you from your slavery, God had you slay a lamb and put the blood over your doorpost so that your house would be passed over in the final plague. So you're remembering a sacrifice of a lamb at 3 p.m. on the 14th day of the month. So sun goes down, Passover begins, the next day at 3 p.m. you're slaying a lamb. 1,500 years before Jesus, every year, every 14th of a bib, this is happening at 3 p.m. You're remembering the sacrifice, the slaughtering, of a lamb at 3 p.m. Sun goes down that day, a few hours after you slay the lamb, and it becomes the 15th of a bib, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread starts then. Okay? Feast of Unleavened Bread, here's the significance. When the Israelites were going out of Egypt, God said, don't bother setting up bread with yeast, don't alter it, it's not going to be in one place long enough to be affected. So, 14th, slaughter of a lamb. Sun goes down and you begin remembering that bread was not altered, was not around long enough to be altered by natural process. The Lord said to Moses, verse 9, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land, I'm going to give you, and you reap its harvest. So they couldn't do anything with this yet because they were kind of out in the wilderness. Okay, But when you enter the land that I'm going to give you, and the cycle of agriculture sets up, 
Bring to the priest a sheaf of first grain you harvest. The first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord on the day after Sabbath. And he goes on to describe the Feast of First Fruits. So, on the Feast of First Fruits, you were basically celebrating the barley harvest, which was the first harvest of the year. It started on the Sabbath after Passover. So here's the deal. Fourteenth day, you got seven festivals, and the first are clumped right together within one week of each other. The fourteenth day of the first month, you're slaughtering a lamb at 3 p.m. At sundown, immediately following that, you're remembering that bread was not in its place long enough to be altered by natural process. And then a couple days later, when the Sabbath fell, you celebrated that which God has brought up out of the earth. 1,500 years before the time of Jesus, every year they are celebrating that right in a row. Sacrifice of the lamb at 3 p.m. Bread is not in its place long enough to be altered by natural process. Celebrate what God has brought up out of the earth. Right in a row, they have those feasts. Count off 50 days. Feast of weeks, also called Pentecost. Verse 15. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Let me explain what's happening here. A couple things. Okay, 50 days from first fruits is Pentecost, which you would celebrate later on, it says, by bringing two loaves of bread and, and giving them essentially to God. Now, we're going to break this down over the coming weeks in greater detail, but let me give you just kind of the 30,000-foot overview of these feasts today. Okay, 50 days from first fruits. You're doing that in celebration of the harvest. But one of the things that the Hebrews are also doing here is remembering that right about this time frame, after Passover, the original Passover in Egypt, God gave them what they would consider to be their greatest gift, the Torah, which was the first five books of the Old Testament. He gave them His Word. He gave them their identity on Mount Sinai. Shown to be true by fire, and the stirring of the elements and the shaking of the earth, and God labeled them as people, and he gave them their greatest gift of Torah. At Pentecost, 50 days after the first fruits, they are remembering that God gave him their identity and his greatest gift to them at the original Passover time when he freed them from Egypt. So, let's review again. Every year, 1,500 years up to the time of Jesus, on the 14th day, you're slaughtering a lamb at 3 p.m. Hours later at nightfall, you're remembering that bread is not around long enough to be altered by natural process. The following Sabbath, you're remembering what God has brought up out of the earth and celebrating that. Fifty days later, you're remembering the great gift that God gave you with Torah when he called you his people. Every year, God said to the Jews, set your calendar around these. 
So you have three, you have a clump of holidays, which is very interesting, isn't it, that there are seven holidays and they're not spread out. You have three in a row, then a little break and you have one in the middle, and now we're going to see three more right in a row. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites on the first day of the seventh month, please stay with me if you're lost right now, because you are just going to, how God weaves all this together is very relevant to you today. So this is inductive. It's kind of like a joke, you know, when the punchline comes at the end, but hang with me. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites on the first day of the seventh month, You are to have a day of rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present an offering made to the Lord by fire. Now, when we look at the calendar here, here's what's happening. Pentecost celebrates the end of the wheat harvest and the beginning of the fruit harvest, the second harvest, which ended right around the seventh month of the year, and what became known in Jewish history was the trumpet blast sounded and you celebrated the end of the harvest year. So for 1,500 years up to the time of Jesus, in your mind, in your culture, you associated a great trumpet blast with the end of harvest time. A couple days later, the Lord said to Moses, the 10th day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present an offering made to the Lord by fire. Now this we get from other places in scripture. Here's what's going on on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. For a few days, you are basically sulking in your sin. You are thinking about how miserable you are as a human being how desperately you are in need of God's grace and mercy. And then there's this awesome celebration called the scapegoat where you are whooping it up, transfer your sins to this goat and send him away. And every year on the Day of Atonement, you're associating the sending away of the goat with the departure of sin from God's people. So let's review. Every year as a Jew, on the 14th of Abib, you are slaughtering a lamb at 3 p.m. At nightfall, you're celebrating that this bread is not going to be around long enough to be altered by natural process. On the Sabbath, you begin the celebration of what God has brought up out of the earth for your sustenance. Fifty days later, you're celebrating the tremendous gift that God gave you with Torah, The second season passes and you celebrate the end of the second harvest with trumpet blasts followed by the sending away of sin from the people of God which incidentally happened through goats and that leads you to the Feast of Tabernacles or tents or booths. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites on the 15th day of the seventh month, The Lord's, Yahweh's feast of booths or tents or tabernacles begins and it lasts for seven days. Let me tell you what happened at this. Okay, this is like, you know, Woodstock. This is like a hippie, okay? You would leave your homes for a week and set up tents with each other. And you would celebrate 
Sin is gone from the camp of God. Now we are together with each other and our God. So let's review. Fourteenth day, this is the culture of the Jews. Fourteenth day, slaughter of the lamb at 3 p.m., following by a celebration that bread is not in a place long enough to be altered. Next Sabbath, God has brought this up out of the earth for our substance. Yea, God, 50 days later, God has given us this amazing gift. End of harvest season, trumpet blast, followed by the sending away of the goat to celebrate that sin is gone from the people of God. Then you dwell together with each other and with your God. Every year things were set by this. Let's take a look at the rhythm here. Clump, one by itself, another clump. Okay, three in a row, one off kind of by itself, another three in a row. Let me look with you real quick now because we are, we are kind of running out of time, but I don't really care because this is really neat. Um, at least I'm having fun with it. You guys are probably lost as all get out, but... Okay, we're going to bring it together. Bring it on home. Okay, Exodus chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, turn there. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month. This is like right before they're getting ready to slaughter the original Passover lambs. Okay, they are in slavery at this moment when God speaks. This is to be the first month, the first month of the year for your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small, he goes on to, to talk about you know, the, the size of the family and things like that. The animals must be one year old. Take care of them until the fourth day. Where's before that? I'm missing a spot here that I need. Um, you determine the amount, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, on the 10th day, they bring a lamb into the house. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So God tells when, what they are about to do. He says, this is going to be a lasting tradition for you at Passover. You bring a lamb into your house on the 10th day of the month. And for four days, take care of it. And the idea there behind that wording in the Hebrew is inspect, (coughs) ensure perfection, look over this animal for four days while it's in your house, and then slaughter it at twilight. And then he goes in and talks about um, in the next, you know, at, at nightfall the next day, Feast of Unleavened Bread wasn't around long enough. Okay, turn with me now. We said last week that the Passover ultimately pointed to what? Crucifixion. Turn with me now to Matthew chapter 27. <coughs> Matthew 27. We're going to start at verse 45. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out. Skip down to 50. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. So that tells us darkness came over the land on the sixth hour. 
And at the ninth hour, Jesus, the Lamb of God, died. Anybody want to guess what time where for 1,500 years at 3 p.m. they were slaughtering a lamb? Anybody want to guess what time the ninth hour was? 3 p.m. So for 1,500 years, this had pointed to 3 p.m. on the 14th day of the first month when Jesus, the Lamb of God, would be slaughtered to free you from your freedom or from your slavery and sin and my slavery and sin. Now, if you calculate backwards, anybody want to guess how many days Jesus was in Jerusalem being inspected by those in authority before he was crucified? Four. On the 10th day of the month, Jesus came into town, just like for 1,500 years, the Israelites had been bringing a lamb into their home to inspect it for perfection. And on the 14th day of the month, at 3 p.m., the Lamb of God was slaughtered for our sins on the cross. That's pretty amazing foreshadowing, but it gets better. The reason that they had to get Jesus off the cross quickly and get him into the tomb quickly was because the Feast of Unleavened Bread started at nightfall. And the first day of that feast, you could do no work. Remember, we read that. So they had to get Jesus in his tomb before nightfall because they weren't allowed to do any work to their custom because it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where you celebrated the fact that bread would not be in one place long enough to be altered by natural process. Just like Scripture says, God's Holy One will not see decay. And Jesus was called the bread of life, the bread that came down from heaven. So for 1,500 years, the Jews unknowingly were working their way through the death and burial of Jesus because he was placed in a tomb but not there for very long because what day did Jesus raise from the grave? The Sabbath. What also began on the Sabbath following the Passover? First fruits. The day where for 1,500 years the Israelites were celebrating what God had brought up out of the earth to give life. So on that day, when the Jews in Jerusalem began their celebration of what God had brought up out of the earth, God had brought Jesus out of the tomb to give life. Fifty days later, on the day that for 1,500 years the Jews had been celebrating God's great gift of Torah or Scripture that he gave to mark them as his people with fire and shaking of the earth and the stirring of the elements. Fifty days after Jesus rose from the grave on that day of Pentecost, there was fire and stirring of the elements as God brought in his second great gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. But then there's a pause in the Jewish calendar. And you have to wait another season until the end of harvest. Incidentally, what does God call all people waiting to turn their hearts to him? The harvest. And God says someday that harvest is going to be over. And what's God's sign in scripture for the end of harvest season? 
a trumpet blast. For 1,500 years before the time of Jesus, the Jews associated a trumpet blast with the end of harvest time, followed by that end of harvest, which will be the resurrection of the dead. The Bible says that God will send away those who never put their trust in him. The departure of sin from the people of God. Now, Jesus tells a story, and we'll talk about this in a few weeks, in Mark uh, 20 and Matthew 25. He says, I will send away the goats. Essentially, trumpet blast, sending away the goats. And then the high point of Scripture, sin has been sent away, and everybody dwells together with each other and with God forever. So you can see here, I've got one more little graph here, that clear back 1500 B.C., 1500 years before the time of Jesus, God had set up this system of feasts where you have Passover fulfilled with the crucifixion on Passover, unleavened bread fulfilled through the burial of Jesus, the bread that was not in a place long enough to be altered, first fruits, that which God had brought up from the ground, Um, Pentecost and the gift of the Holy Spirit, trumpets, atonement, tents, yet to come, but events that are specifically described in Scripture as something we need to be aware of because they will happen one day. Clear back, 3,500 years ago, God had set up the whole year to rotate around the seven major redemptive moves He was going to make to gain you and me. And he said, I want you to rehearse these. These are your seven rehearsals. It was always on his mind. He was always practicing. Because your redemption and my redemption are what matters most to God. Now, I'm a little embarrassed by this, but I'm going to share it anyway because it goes with this, okay? In 72 days, I will be getting on a plane for a 16-day all-expense-paid trip to Israel. I cannot wait. And I so cannot wait that I find myself on days where the wedding is, or where the, uh, I said wedding because they're getting married and they're leaving to go to their wedding. Uh, <laughs> they're going to, see you guys, congratulations. They're, they're um, getting married in the, in the, um, in the spring and, and going to do their final appointments. So I saw them leave and said wedding. Um, what was I saying? Oh, got this trip. Not going to Israel to get married. I am already married and have no plans of going for another one. Um, I'm so excited for this trip when the, when the days have gotten snowy and, and you know, miserable and all that. Um, I've actually practiced packing my bags. Like, you know, gotten stuff in my bags I'm going to be taking, packing shorts and T-shirts and sandals and things like that. Okay, I'm a little embarrassed by that, but it means a lot to me, and I'm excited for that, so I'm practicing that. Because we practice and we go through the things that are important to us. This has been so important to God that for 3,500 years, on a yearly rotation, He's been having people work through these events. And let me tell you something. This world right now is a mess. We hear about tsunamis and earthquakes and, you know, 8.9 and, and um, you know, Egypt in the Middle East, a mess. And it's easy to think that things are out of control. 
But I hope what you can do, your application from this, in spite of everything this world has been through, those seven things are high on God's priority list. And no matter what the year brought, when something is solidified in time, it happens. No matter the state of affairs, Passover happens. First fruits happens. Trumpet blast happens. And no matter what happens in your world or what happens in this world, redemption is happening. And this was all done for you. When Jesus died on the cross, it was ultimately to forgive you of all of your sins so that through faith in him, we can live together in that Feast of Tabernacles together with each other and with our God. It's all been done.